Good morning. It seems like it was just a few minutes ago that I stood here and talked to you on the first Sunday of Lent, and here we are already on the fourth Sunday. Once again, we find that Easter is in sight, and if we adopted a Lenten discipline, we may already be looking at it in our rearview mirror. Maybe there was an accidental Big Mac when you forgot it was a Lenten Friday and you weren't eating meat. Especially if you're someone like me who enjoys a good hamburger and more than just a few pieces of bacon with his breakfast. It can be hard to go back to fasting after a slip like that. Perhaps you were intending to wake up at the crack of dawn each morning and start to bed early on the other end of the day so that you could make sure to begin and end with the morning and evening offices. No? You're all looking like... (laughs) But then you recalled that the morning after the celebrations of the Feast of St. Patrick can be particularly brutal and require a bit more rest and sleeping in than they once did in order to recover one's faculties. And so you hit snooze a few extra times. I'm looking at my wife now. Rather than jumping up refreshed and enthused for morning prayer. But as Christians, we are nothing if not a people constantly in transition. Our prayers, our meditations and liturgies are full of the imagery of change and development, and we hope no small amount of growth in the process. Even the setting of this morning's long gospel passage from John invokes the idea of travel, movement, The location of Siloam, where we find the pool in which the blind man washes at Jesus' bidding, means to be sent. If we think about other passages from the gospel, it's likely occurred to us that that theme of being sent and going forward to do the will of Christ is a constant and recurring one throughout these four books and indeed all of Scripture. In the Nicene Creed, which we recite nearly every Sunday throughout the church year, we find preserved in miniature the journey of Jesus himself. From his birth, through his earthly ministry, to his crucifixion and death, and in due course to the Easter of his resurrection, we can say without even the slightest hesitation that the world and our place in it has never been the same. In the ninth chapter of the Gospel of John, we find a blind man whose name we aren't given. Church tradition tells us that his name was Celidonius, and that he would later take part in founding a church in France. Since we're a people of tradition, that name is probably as good as any to give him. Celidonius is told by Jesus to go to the pool of Siloam, wash the dirt from his eyes, and return after he's been there. There's that motion again, that journey, a sense of pilgrimage to a holy place. But why Siloam? Why water? Why that water? Why didn't Jesus simply tell him to go to the local well in the middle of any random town and splash some water on his face and be done with it? Most good study Bibles make some degree of connection to the idea of the pool's name meaning sent, and of course, Christ being sent by God the Father for a great and specific purpose. So it's no accident that the pool to which Jesus sends our blind beggar this morning is one routinely used by the Jews of Jesus' day for mikvah, or ritual bathing, before high holy days, or when they had somehow become unclean according to their purity laws of which there are still many in our own time. 
The lack of cleanliness in the eyes of God is also a recurring theme in all parts of Christian scripture, and it's found its way into our ritual as well. As we approach the altar each Sunday, we are confronted with a barrier, that short rail there, which separates us from the thing we desire most in all the world, union with the body of Christ in the Eucharist. And so we too make a journey to reach it. Many of us likely stop on our way into the church at that tiny holy water stoop at the door, dip our fingers into the water, and making the sign of the cross, we bless or purify ourselves. That small act of ritual devotion, whether we see it as actual purification or only a symbol, is meant to call to mind our own baptism at yet another pool of Siloam. In the reality of the baptismal font, we refresh its importance on our hearts and in our souls. And it is in the water of baptism after our long journey through the darkness that we can so often, that our lives can so often be before coming to Christ that we prepare ourselves spiritually to receive him, not only in the Eucharist, but throughout the entirety of our lives. By this point, most are probably wondering why the specific waters of the stoop and font matter to us, or at least should, as much as the waters of that pool of Siloam where the beggar in this morning's gospel washes his eyes and returns to tell the tale in the face of overwhelming scrutiny and criticism from the religious leaders of his day. Why doesn't Jesus simply say, go home, take a bath, it'll be fine? Certainly we've all experienced the restorative powers of a nice hot bath after a long day at work or even a dusty road trip. We can sit and think, let our minds and bodies relax and regenerate before we go back out into the world to do it all again. And we all know about splashing cold water on our faces when we are upset or have received some bad news or other shock to our systems. So why does Jesus tell this man who cannot see to find his way to Siloam and wash? After all, he could have made it easy on the poor fellow. Surely Jesus, as God incarnate, could have stood on the very spot where he met the beggar and pronounced him healed. It must be absolutely true that this would have been just as effective in ways besides shortening our reading this morning. But we see these acts of washing accompanied by the undertaking of often difficult and painful pilgrimage throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New. There's Noah, of course, riding out a flood in a wooden boat, the very instructions for which are dictated to him by God. Noah and his family and no small number of animals are tossed on the waves, exhausted and no doubt, no doubt nauseous, all in order to fulfill God's promise to renew the world that's become unclean and brought about its own destruction. Jonah is reluctant to prophesy of God at first until he has swallowed and vomited out by a giant sea creature and hence rethinks his decision. Anyone who has done much traveling would probably agree with Jonah that some trips are better than others. I remember in a childhood Sunday school class, Karen Jansen, the girl sitting right next to me, threw up just as the teacher said the whale was doing it. As a result, I've never forgotten the story of Jonah. 
Even Christ himself travels to the water of the Jordan to be immersed in the river by the Baptist, sealing the beginning of both the new covenant and his earthly ministry among his people. Now I'll grant you that in Jonah's case, a little extra convincing by God seems to be necessary. But we can clearly see what all of these journeys in and under and through water have in common. They're all acts of faith. If we use a bit of sacred imagination, we can easily envision this, the beggar this morning saying to Jesus, Siloam, I just came from there. But he doesn't. He has faith and does what Jesus asks. There's much debate among theologians and other scholars about whether Jesus himself needed to be baptized, but in fact he is. Among other things, this is an act of joining himself in ritual to the people he has come to save from themselves. Think about how irritated Noah's neighbors must have been with the pounding and sawing at that ark in his driveway in the middle of the night. They're just trying to sleep. But he did it because he was faithful and God told him to, even if he didn't like it. All of this is my journey to the heart of this message this morning. When God asks us to serve the poor or feed the hungry or in some other way comfort the afflicted or afflict the comfortable, then go we must. Of course we don't always like it. There are many mornings when clergy would rather stay in bed and preachers would rather go to the art museum or take the dog for a walk in the park rather than craft another sermon. But we do the task that God has given us precisely because it is he who asks. We have faith, or we should, that God does what he, promise us, he promises us he will do. And so when he asks us to play some small part, we cannot say no. So we need to brace ourselves and set our jaws firmly and go forth into the world to love and serve the Lord by loving and serving each other. Look at it this way. If we're very, very lucky when God sends us out into the world to fulfill his will for us in love, maybe it won't be raining. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen and God bless you.